she falls onto McCoy's lap. She falls right into his lap, Dana. And he's like, well, she's not that dead. She just died. It'll take a while for rigor to set in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. It's a fun and fascinating look at Star Trek, the original series. Your hosts, Dan Calzaretta and Dana Smith. This week, we're talking about Wolf in the Fold. Good evening, Dan. Dana, it is good to be back. Yeah, I had to remember how to tune into this and uh, figure out out how to get online, use my microphone, all that type of stuff. Well, because we don't tune in. We record it and other people tune in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's what my problem was. (laughs) I kept going to uh, one of the uh, podcast apps and and trying to get on and I couldn't find the latest episode. (laughs) Where is this? Where's Dan? What's going on? So how was your vacation, Dan? It was great. So we were gone for a month, as our faithful listeners know. Started out with a wedding in the Midwest in Iowa, my nephew. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You started out stopping in to see me and... Oh, God, I forgot about that part. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I mean, like, figured that was probably the best part of your trip, but, you know. It was so good, Dana, I forgot about it. (laughs) (laughs) But let let me rewind that. So... So we started out by seeing Dana <laughs> and his wife and some other friends in, in the Denver area. That was a lot of fun. Went to a brewery and uh, met with the owner. He came out to visit with us. That was fun. Yeah, it was a really good time. It was uh, great having you here. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. And um, then went to the Midwest for a wedding of my nephew, visited some friends in Vermont, went into, into Canada in Ontario, drove across uh, Trans-Canadian Highway 1 to Alberta, and then back down into the States and back home. So it was just a great trip and had a lot of fun. Do you have any problems with the uh, at the borders? Well, so I tried to hand the guy in my passport, my damn it, Jim, the podcast business card. And he didn't <laughs> like that. He, he, yeah, he, uh, he then did a little bit more research and was like, yeah, you can't come back. You, you've been yeah, banned. Kicked out of Canada. A... No, no, kicked out of the United States. Oh. <laughs> Canadians were like, yeah, whatever. No, no one listens to you here, but... <laughs> No, no problems at the border. In fact, coming back, I probably shouldn't say this because now they're going to, you know, do like cavity search next time. But the guy was like, looked at the passports. He's like, welcome back, Daniel. And that was it. I was like, you don't even want to know if I have any fruit, vegetables or illicit items of any kind. You know, I mean, I didn't say that. But knowing you, you would have had like a couple cases of uh, Canadian beer that you were sneaking across the border or something. No, I had American beer that I bought in Vermont and I wanted to get it back, obviously, but he didn't even ask about that. So it was great. Uh, They were super professional. We were in, you know, very quickly through and just had a great time. Now, you also had a had kind of an adventure while we were on hiatus. Yeah, I had a shoulder surgery. Yeah, I can see your one shoulder is like huge. What what did they do? Steroids or? <laughs> yeah, I was feeling kind of meek. So I had them put in some shoulder pads, uh, make me look a little bit bigger. <laughs> some like football shoulder pads. <laughs> yeah. You remember the coats and like the, the, the sport coats and stuff in like the 80s? Yeah. All had like shoulder pads in them. Yes. And stuff. So it's, uh, I think that was the 80s and maybe the 90s uh, with the women had the big hair and right. uh, and everybody had big shoulder pads. I guess they were just thinking a football game was maybe going to break out. Yeah. So that's, uh, I'm going for that look. It's a good look on you. <laughs> Do you remember parachute pants when those were big? Oh, yeah. I found a pair of mine uh, that I had from the 80s yeah. and tried to put them on. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, uh, they didn't fit. No? Really? I'm uh, surprised. Yeah, weird. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to tell you that they were too loose, but that wasn't the case. But, 
but I worked at a clothing store in the eighties. Wait, hold on. Was... Okay. Hold on a second. We haven't even started the podcast and the ramble jar has got to come out. So keep going. I'll, I'll just start throwing stuff in as we need to. Yeah. That's, it's been a long time since we've talked. So this is, uh, this is going to get bad. Yeah. Screw the podcast. Let's let in Star Trek. Let's just, let's just ramble for an hour. <laughs> Some people think that's all we do anyway. So I know what <laughs> I mean, they're mostly right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I worked in this clothing store, which was you know, men's clothing. But they uh, had a sister store, which was more trendy. You know, being that I was like a college student and trying to be trendy and cool, I was uh, I would shop over at the sister store and buy clothes there. This is women's clothing or men's clothing? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter to me, Dana. Really, I, I just I'm just curious. It was always men's clothing. Okay. But shouldn't it be a brother store then if it's men's clothing, not a sister store? Everything's like a sister. You know, it's a, there's, they talk about like two corporations work together. It's like a sister company, two ships. They talk about it's a sister ship. Why is that? Because I think if you say brothership, they think it sounds like a cult. So yeah, no, I had uh, shoulder surgery to repair a uh, problem I was having with my bicep tendon. Well, I'm glad it went well and that you're on the road to recovery. Yeah, well, thanks. So, Dan, uh, it's been a while. Do you have any emails or anything that you want to share with us before we start? Yeah, Dana, I'd like to start with one from Anthony Sinclair. He writes, Hi, guys. It's good to have you back. I hope your time off was enjoyable, whether it was spent catching up on Starfleet technical journals or in quiet contemplation or on Wrigley's Pleasure Planet. Regarding the last podcast on Obsession, although it's not my favorite episode, it's the best one in the series if you want to do a drinking game. If you took a shot every time Kirk said, sickly sweet, you'd either wind up in sickbay or the Betty Ford Clinic. I'm looking forward to this week's podcast. Best regards, Anthony. Thank you for that one, Anthony. From our good friend, The Hungry Marmot. He says, Dear Dan and Dana, I was prompted to investigate Dan's favorite subject of Uranus after your discussion about the number of sphincters in the human body. Imagine my discombobulation on finding out that Uranus has multiple rings. This might well explain why it is difficult for it to sometimes expel solid matter during its orbit. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, he goes on to say, my question is, will Dan be stopping off at Palomar Observatory on his vacation to use their deep space telescopes to probe deeper into the rings of Uranus? He then finishes the email with, Schmitter! <laughs> <laughs> So that was a good one. Thank you very much, Hungry Marmot. I'm not sure it's my favorite subject. I know I bring it up a lot in the podcast just because it's funny. I used to teach middle school. So whenever you say Uranus, it's just funny to me. But anyway, thanks for the email. That was great. Also, Matt Fleming sent us a link to a video of some people shooting off fireworks on the 4th of July and asked us to do a review of it. Did you Did you happen to watch that, Dana? When I was at work, it wouldn't let me open it. I meant to open it when I got home and I did not. Oh my God. You have to watch it. It's hilarious. He says he wants us to watch it and then talk about it next week. So maybe we can. Uh, but it was very, very funny to say the least. Finally, a couple of listeners on YouTube liked the idea that Moggridge had sent us before we left on vacation that we do reviews of the Twilight Zone. So there's a couple upvotes for Twilight Zone reviews, Dana. I watched, while I was down and out for a few days, I watched an episode of Thunderbirds. Oh, yeah. Remember the marionettes? Oh, yeah. Creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. They're smoking cigarettes and drinking and stuff. It's just... And I thought that would be something to review, but I didn't know if I could get past how weird it was watching the marionettes. Yeah. And I was a kid. 
kid, I remember I used to watch those shows. Yeah. But I've not seen that in years. Yeah, weird. I, I haven't either, but it's in my memory bank and it's always disturbing. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for all of our listeners who have written in. We'd love to hear, though, from all of you. Now, we do have a phone number, Dana, and we've gotten some phone calls, <laughs> but they've all been spam. So here's the deal. I'm going to put out a challenge to our listeners. I would like to get 10 phone calls with voicemail messages about the show or about us or about how they like the show or don't like it or anything related to the show. So challenges, 10 messages to our voicemail, even if it's silly comments, we'd love to hear from you. So I'm going to give out the number and I'm also going to put it in the show notes. But here's the phone number. It is area code 509-676-6298. Once again, 509-676-6298. Nine, eight. You know, if you are calling from overseas, you can still do it. If you have a Google Voice number, you know, just use Google Voice, use data. You don't even have to make a phone call where you have to pay for it and use that number. So Dana, I think we can get 10 people to call and leave comments, don't you? I would sure hope so. We've had uh, lots of comments through Facebook and uh, through YouTube. So I would think that uh, people would definitely call in. Yeah. And if we like what we hear, we'll put it on, right? Yeah, definitely. If we need to bleep out some stuff, I mean, that's okay. Sometimes we have to bleep our own selves out. So, (laughs) But please call in leave us a message. If it helps you to have a few drinks before you do it because you're nervous, go ahead. No problem. So anyway, that's it, Dana. I did put a message out that we are airing, uh, this podcast will air on the 4th. We got some comments on Facebook that said, yay, love listening to the rambles. That was Steve Brockia. And then uh, Randall Mannion said, keep on schmittering. Uh, which is my favorite. An old friend of ours, Cindy, said, uh, yes, 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 in a picture of a smiling dog. I love that one. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Matthew Fleming, who we already talked about, said, hot damn. Glad to see that some people are excited about us coming back and they they missed us, Dan. What'll be interesting on Friday, once people listen to the podcast, if they'll put a message on there saying, actually, what I meant to say was, <laughs> don't come back. <laughs> okay, Dan, should we uh, get into this episode? Yeah, let's do it. Let's start talking about Wolf in the Fold. Hey, before we start, I find this very interesting. So both of us are from the Midwest originally, right? Yeah. Uh, Just out, kind of just outside of Chicago. How do you pronounce, Dana, the first word in the title of this episode? Wolf. Wolf, with the L, right? Yeah. How do people from the Midwest pronounce it? Wolf. Wolf. (laughs) Wolf. They say wolf. They would say wolf in the fold. And they don't say wolf in the fold. They pronounce the L in the fold. <laughs> Something about that word, wolf. It is pronounced wolf. I was talking to one of my brothers not too long ago, and he happened to bring up, he lives out in the country, and there was something about a wolf, or I, I don't know why he even brought up the wolf. And he said, woof. It's a wolf. And I said, what's a wolf? <laughs> you know, a wolf. A wolf. <laughs> like a big dog. He's like, oh, wolf. That's what I said, wolf. Okay, dude. <laughs> it's funny, though. I haven't thought about that. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that up. So yeah. maybe we should get started. <laughs> yeah. Now, I've heard that in other places. I was trying to think if that was the Midwest. I think it was when I was in Wisconsin Yeah, that uh, people said that. But I don't want to judge anybody just yet. Okay. I'm not judging. I'm just I'm just <laughs> observing. Even though, let's face it, it's a stupid way to say it. It's just it's dumb. <laughs> Crap. There goes all our Midwest listeners. <laughs> well, we've already filled the ramble jar today, Dana. I mean, we're... <laughs> And we haven't even yet talked about the show. No, so. you just mentioned the title and then I, I totally just butted <laughs> in. And Okay, yeah, there's a lot to talk about in this show. So Yeah, so we got to move, yeah. Let's get started on this. Okay. <laughs> so we start off with a close-up of an attractive female dancer doing, I guess, 
you could only call it a belly dance. I think that's the best term for it. Yeah. Across the room, we see several people lounging on pillows, having drinks, watching the dancer. And we pan over to Scotty, McCoy, and Kirk, and they're all watching the dancer. Yeah. And not with just a kind of disinterested look either. Scotty has a smile on his face and Kirk is watching. McCoy is all but drooling. Scotty comments that he's going to like it on our grilliest, our grilliest <laughs> I was practicing saying this today. It's Argelius. Argelius? Yeah. We'll, we'll get corrected no matter how you pronounce it, Dana. Scotty comments that he's going to like it on Argelius too. He asks, You mean to tell me that all these women, well, that all this is. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. The Argelians think very highly of their pleasure. Oh, now that's an understatement if I ever heard one. This is a completely hedonistic society. Okay, 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 hold on a second. So when Kirk says, yes, yes, Dana, is this a brothel? (laughs) That's funny, because I have in parentheses, uh, do you think he was going to say prostitutes, maybe? So that's what he's implying, though, right? Yeah, just because this was the mid-60s, you didn't say that on television. I mean, they came as close as they could, right, without saying I I also was reading that the woman who was doing the dancing, they had to cover up her belly button. It was... Yeah. Like the sensors would not let that go through. So they just put like a jewel in it. I mean, it's just kind of ridiculous, don't you think? <laughs> I Dream of Jeannie was the same thing. Yeah. Couldn't see her belly button. Right. So, but we, we've seen Kirk's nipples. We have. Yes, we have. <laughs> Kirk says he has invited the dancer to her table so Scotty can meet her. And Scotty says, that's what I call a good captain. Always thinking of his mitten. Hold on. That was pretty good. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> so you just needed a little bit of a break to really get that accent back down you know when i had the shoulder surgery i asked the doctors anything can do help me with my uh scottish accent so he said he'll try to <laughs> see if he can work his way over to my vocal cords and see if he can do anything so it must have worked so. <laughs> well too bad Chekhov wasn't in this episode i wonder if there was any improvement of the russian accent or if it still sounds like dracula but but we'll, we get to that whenever we hear him next yeah well you know you work on one accent at a time so. right so maybe when you have the other shoulder done ask them to insert the russian <laughs> accent chip <laughs> So when the dance finishes, Scotty is slapping the table. Kirk and McCoy say that the Agrelian's people flicker the light on the table as a sign of approval of the dance. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, and Scotty just keeps slapping the table. He's slapping something. <laughs> he did only have one hand on the table. So That's I mean. true. <laughs> and the other side of the table was like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe he was trying to cover up the the sound of the, the underneath. Because <laughs> he's like something like you don't tell a man from Aberdeen how to do something. I don't even remember what he said. That was horrible. I need shoulder surgery. <laughs> The dancer comes to the table, and we see there's a couple other men that are really watching her as she goes over to the table. Scotty offers to take her on a bonnie walk through the fog. But to be somewhat serious, I mean, it is a little disturbing, right? Once again, women are just put in this role as just being nothing more than vessels for a man's pleasure. She agrees. I mean, she just sat down, and, you know, Scotty's like, oh, it's a beautiful night in the fog, nothing like Aberdeen and all that type of stuff. Yeah. And then uh, she agrees, and they leave together. Kirk and McCoy 
discuss that uh, this is good medicine for Scotty, who was injured during an explosion that was caused by a female crew member. McCoy fears Scotty could have a resentment towards women because this explosion was caused by a female crew member. Speechless, Tina. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck? Really? I mean... <laughs> It was weird, Dana. It was really... I guess they had to do this backstory to explain why you had a head injury or something. And they keep saying this. Yeah. And throughout the show. And and we never get any details, though, about the explosion, what the problem was, who caused it, what happened. We don't, we don't learn any of that. So Kirk says, Scotty seems to be overcoming his resentment. And he's all smiles. And one of the great things I noticed about this scene is during the discussion, there's, you know, you see shadows of people moving by. And you could see Kirk and McCoy are both distracted by people walking by. Yeah. You know, so that they are totally into the whole fact that they are in this house of ill repute or whatever you want to call it. So I, th- I thought that was really good because I thought that was good acting by both men. And then Kirk tells McCoy that he knows a place across the town where the women and McCoy quickly cuts him off and says, oh, yes, yes, I know that place. So outside, we see that they step out into a low fog just as they're kind of like pointing in the direction where to go. They hear a woman scream and they run over to to find the dancer is dead. She's been stabbed a dozen times and McCoy says, she's dead, Jim. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't like the circumstance, but that was good. And then they hear this like groan and they look up to see Scotty pressed against a nearby wall with a knife in his hand. To me, this is where the story takes off. Yeah. Yeah. It was shocking. Actually, it was shocking. Yeah. Super well done. I thought that part. Yeah. No, I, I liked the whole thing. Captain's log states that while on therapeutic shore leave, a woman has been murdered and Scotty is the prime suspect. The city administrator, Hengist, has taken over the investigation, but so far has not uncovered anything. So the administrator, who's kind of this like meek guy, says he's not from Argrelius. He's from Rigel 4 and that he would never expect such an event to happen on this planet. He shows Scotty the knife and asks if he remembers it, and Scotty says he can't remember. And Scotty looks completely perplexed. Yeah. Scotty says he remembers leaving the cafe. He was leading the way through the fog when he heard her scream, and then he doesn't remember anything. McCoy calls Kirk aside. And McCoy says, if Scotty can't remember, that means he really can't remember. By the way, that administrator guy, most annoying voice ever. So Kirk explains that he has to be diplomatic. If the Argrelians want to try to convict Scotty, he has to go along with it. McCoy states that Scotty had a concussion. And Kirk says, we'll do what we can. Do you ever have a concussion, Dan? No, I've never had one, Dana. Have you? Yeah, I've had a couple. I mean, back then it was just, you know, you were dizzy from, you know, I played football and wrestled and stuff and... Oh, that's so, how uh, that's how it happened. Okay. <laughs> And, uh, you know, but no, nobody at the time said, we think you've got a concussion or we think you're concussed. And nobody ever said, you know, well, keep an eye on him because there's a chance he might black out and go kill women. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's usually not like what one of the symptoms. That's usually not one of the symptoms, I don't think. Yeah, I looked it up. It's not. I couldn't find that in any of the symptoms. You couldn't. So, concussion, yeah, so. <laughs> I'm glad you looked it up, though. Want to be thorough for our listeners. Sure, yeah. Kirk asks Hengus, what is the law in these cases? And then another man steps up and says, the law of Argrelius is love. And he reaches back. He's like in the back of the room. He reaches back and takes the hand of a beautiful woman, and they step forward together. Hengist introduces the man as the prefect, Jairus. Jairus introduces his wife as Sibo. I think it was Sibo, yeah. But we'll get corrected again. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, Dana. <laughs> 
Well, you know, when I first saw it, I wanted, I wanted to say Cybo because I saw the name, but I right. remembered that he's pronounced Cybo. Now, our listeners may recognize him, though, too, right? Yeah. Uh, the prefect has been seen on Star Trek before. Yeah. Do we want to say where that is or wait on that one? Let's build up a little bit of a mystery here. Dude. Let's let's have some mystery. Okay. I agree with you. Good. Let's not tell people that he was Landrew. <laughs> Jarrah says that long ago, they had ways to learn the truth in these matters. McCoy states the Argrelian empathic contact. And Jarrah responds that his wife has the ancestral gift and invites them to his home. Hengus asks if this should be handled in an official manner. And Jarrah responds that he is the highest ranking official on the planet. So it shall be handled officially. Yeah, that, that little guy, Hengist, was annoying. He was just annoying. Too bad he didn't get stabbed. So but my first thought was, Scotty's the prime suspect. Yeah. Somebody's been murdered. Nobody's in handcuffs. No guards. No guards. Didn't call down a couple red shirts or anything. No. So they go to Jarrus's home and Kirk suggests they beam down a technician with a psycho tricorder stating it will give a detailed account of everything that happened to Mr. Scott in the last 24 hours. First time we've ever heard of this, right? Do you think they could have come up with a better name than psycho tricorder? (laughs) (laughs) That is a great name. I mean, it's a horribly great name. (laughs) Yeah, he's psycho, all right. Well, I'll get the psycho tricorder to check him out. Yeah. Can't use an ordinary tricorder. No. It has to be the psycho tricorder. I wonder it, in what situations you would use the psycho tricorder. I mean, is it only when people kind of go psycho or? It give it gives a detailed account of everything that's happened to the person in the last 24 hours. So, I mean, what's that even got to do with psycho? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That, that's a good question. Yeah. Maybe it should be like the temporal tricorder. Good point. Yeah. Hengist objects to this, but the prefix says his wife needs to meditate before before she can do her part, so they should do what they can. So Kirk calls up to Spock and orders him to beam down a technician with the psycho tricorder. The prefect says he's been hearing talk around the town about the murder and states that uh, some people are even saying they should close or Grelius down to space vehicles. Angus says there are other people that still need to be questioned, and Jarrus tells him to attend to that. As Hengist is leaving, a female crew member beams down into Jarrus's home. Hengist kind of stops on the door away and watches her and then he leaves. Yeah, that was a weird look he gave her, wasn't it? It was. It was, And he kind of gives her like a little nod. So the crew member reports as Lieutenant Karen Tracy. Kirk tells her he wants a 24-hour regressive memory check on Mr. Scott. So Kirk orders Scotty to go with the lieutenant and the two of them leave together into this room, go in this room where they cannot be, where they won't be disturbed. <laughs> and again, you're sending a man who's been suspected of killing a woman right. away with another woman right by themselves exactly <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong nothing nothing could okay. possibly go wrong <laughs> so mccoy turns to kirk and says under normal conditions scotty would never have done such a thing and kirk responds but that blow on the head it could put all his previous behavior patterns into the junk heap Juris goes to his wife as she enters the room and asks if she is ready. She says yes and asks to see the knife, but then he cannot find the knife. Right. And just then they hear a scream and they go running off. They find the room where Scotty and Lieutenant Tracy went. Tracy's on the floor. Her back has several wounds. Yeah. And Scotty is unconscious in the chair. He's just exhausted. <laughs> Like, Dana, it takes a lot out of me to stab someone that many times. (laughs) We're horrible. So McCoy checks the lieutenant 
and uh, he actually puts his hand on her neck and he says, she's dead, Jim. So two times now, Dana. Yeah. And he says, just like the other one. So Jairus offers a drink to Scotty and says it's a stimulant. McCoy helps Scotty drink it. Scotty wakes up and Kirk tells Scotty that the lieutenant is dead and asks, what happened down there? Scotty says, I was sitting there. She was taking her readings. And then I was here. He says he passed out. McCoy says it could be the head injury. And Kirk says, think, Scotty. <laughs> yeah, just think. Scotty, just think. Just think a little harder. Come on. <laughs> Kirk asks Jarris if there's another entrance to the room Scotty was in. And Jarris says there's another door that leads to the garden, but it's not been used in years. And so Kirk sends McCoy to check it out. As McCoy leaves, Hengist comes in with two of the men who left the bar about the same time Scotty did. Oh, hold on a second. Hold, hold on, hold on. Where's the body at this point? Is it just still laying in the room over there? Yeah. They're waiting for somebody to come and draw a chalk outline around her. <laughs> With a phaser. <laughs> Another use for a phaser. That's yeah. right. <laughs> So Kirk informs Hengist that another murder has been committed. Hengist questions the men that he brought with him, and they say they know nothing. The one man, Tark, who is the older man, says uh, the first murdered girl was his daughter. And the uh, second man, named Morla, says he has nothing to hide. And the father says that Morla knew his daughter. They were supposed to be married. Ooh, that was that was actually a shocker to me. Yeah, yeah, because I didn't get any sense that she even knew who he was. Right. Uh, and uh, he, she says he was jealous of her. Jira says, that's disquieting. And the man says uh, he left when Kara sat down with the men and that he went home. Kirk asks, can you prove you went directly home? And Hengist, who's supposed to be doing the investigation, says, do you mind if I continue with the questions? And Kirk <laughs> says, then get on with it, man. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah. Oh, that was one of my favorite parts. Yeah. So Sibo says she's ready, and Kirk requests that the room be sealed so no one can enter or leave while the ceremony is going on. And Scotty says, Captain, do you mean my neck is going to have to depend on some spooky mumbo-jumbo? And just then, Kirk is hailed by Spock from the Enterprise. Spock says that the Argrelian empathetic contact is an interesting phenomenon, but should not be depended on when a man's life is at stake. Spock suggests they beam Scotty aboard and use the computers to discover the truth. And Kirk says that they are now subject to Argrelian law. It's an interesting concept, right? Like if you're in another country and you commit a crime, you're subject to that country's laws, whether it would seem barbaric or weird to your own country, right? Yeah, we, we've seen it during our lifetime. Oh, yeah. The guy that got the caning. People have gotten it too for like uh, spitting gum on the sidewalk. I dated a girl. Oh, God, I can't wait. I cannot wait for this story. <laughs> Any story that says I dated a girl, I, I, I cannot wait to hear what the, what's going to follow. We were driving down, uh, we were in Fort Collins, we we're on College Avenue, mm -hmm. which is the main thoroughfare through Fort Collins. And I was chewing gum. I rolled down my window and I spit it out and she flipped out because somebody could walk across that and get that on their shoes. I said, well, they'd have to hurry because they're because <laughs> there's about 20 cars behind me. They're going to pick it up on their <laughs> on their tires. <laughs> And so the rest of the conversation did not go so well, but she was really mad at me for spitting my gum out the window. Well, have you done it since? Not with her in the car, no. <laughs> 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 well, 
Well, I mean, I kind of agree with her on this one, Dana. I mean, not not so much because you're getting it on someone's shoe. I mean, that's although I have had gum on my shoes. It's horrible. It's a horrible feeling, you know. But I mean, it is kind of littering, don't you think? No. <laughs> okay. How about this? Let's say a poor little bird flew down there and picked it up and then choked or its beak got stuck together, couldn't eat anymore, and it just died of starvation. If a poor little bird flew down there, mm-hmm. it was going to get run over by another car. <laughs> <laughs> so Then the bird would have been stuck on top of the gum and it wouldn't have been pollution. It's a busy street. Trying to, <laughs> trying to get out of it, Dana. I don't know. Okay. Okay. What? Let's say you were driving down the road and you were, I don't know, you decided to throw something else out the window. I wouldn't do that. What's the difference? Gum is going to get ground into the cement, pass from one tire to another. Yeah. It's a normal compound will break down. Was that the end of the relationship, the infamous gum spitting incident? It was a long journey through the end of the relationship. <laughs> I cannot believe you spit that gum out the window. I'm out of here. I'm not slowing down for you. I just <laughs> have to try to tuck and roll as you hit the ground. <laughs> and she's a natural compound. She'd just get ground up into the... <laughs> Wow. You know, we have not done a podcast in a month. There's a lot of rambling that just has to get out, Dana. It just has to. There's no there's no way around it. I forgot why I brought this up even. I totally forgot too. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one of our listeners can tell us. <laughs> Call us. Just to put a point on this. Yeah. There's now a second woman dead. Right. Scotty is the prime suspect in both murders. No handcuffs, no extra guards. No, taking away his belt or anything. So, you know, if he runs, his pants will fall down. I mean, just, you know, it's just. <laughs> oh, I remember how we got to the gum thing, by the way. I'm curious. It was yeah. the caning. Just so, so we just figured it out. Mystery solved. <laughs> what show are we talking about again? <laughs> All right. Woof in the fold. Right. Woof. 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 Sibo starts the ceremony and requests the circle not be broken. So everybody's like holding hands in a circle. I love the camera shot of this from above. I thought it was really cool, yeah. by the way. She says, there's something here, something terrible. I feel its presence, fear, anger, hatred, anger. Anger feeds the flame. Oh, oh, there is evil here. Monstrous, terrible evil. Consuming hunger, hatred of women. It has a name, Baratus, Kessla, Red Jack. A hunger that will never die. Red Jack, Red Jack. The lights go out. And Sibo screams. By the way, that was really good. I like that. I'm ready for my next dramatic reading. Yeah, that was good. The shoulder improved that too, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, doctor said he's going to give me a personality. When? When's that going to (laughs) happen? When the lights come back on, Scotty is holding Sibo in his arms. And then she falls onto McCoy's lap. She falls right into his lap, Dana. And he's like, well, she's not that dead. She just died. I... It'll take, it'll take a while for rigor to set in. Yeah. <laughs> and we get a close-up on Scotty's hand, don't we? Yeah, and we can see Scotty's got blood on his hands. Yeah. And and Kirk looks on shocked. Pretty much everybody's just like staring at Scotty. And maybe somebody said, Jesus f***ing Christ me, we should put handcuffs on that f***. <laughs> <laughs> what? Exactly right. Exactly right. Seriously. Wow. Kirk basically spells out that sure looks like Scotty did three murders. (laughs) You really think so? (laughs) Jesus, Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) It only took him, what, 39 minutes to get to that point or something? (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, I don't know how to tell you this, McCoy, but I think Scotty actually killed these women. <laughs> McCoy says, I don't care how it looks. Scotty could not have done it. Hengus steps up and says, I agree with you, Captain. I'm perfectly satisfied that Mr. Scott is guilty. Kirk says, but not responsible. We can prove it if he's insane. Kirk says, Mr. Hengus. On the Enterprise, we can make a recording of the registrations of Mr. Scott's conscious and subconscious mind. They will tell us what happened to him in the recent past. So they go to the Enterprise. Kirk explains to the group, which includes another woman, that the device on the chair where they place their hand, any deviation from the truth will be immediately detected and relayed to the computer, which will notify us. So, so the woman who's in there is kind of like a court reporter. Is I, That's kind of what I understood her role to be. Yeah, she had something she was writing on a tablet type thing she was writing on. I mean, if you're that woman, okay, and you know what's happened, and you look around the room, wouldn't you be like, hell no, get some guy in here to do this. I'm out of here. So they start with Scotty on the stand. Kirk asks the computer for Scotty's current condition. The computer responds, subject recently received severe blow on the skull, some peripheral abnormalities, like he's got some issues with women. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He may kill them. We don't know. But other than that, he's perfectly normal. For a Scotsman. (laughs) Excellent point. Kirk asks if sufficient abnormalities can account for periods of functional amnesia. And the computer responds negative. And Scotty says, I'm not lying. I have no memory of the first two murders. Scotty says, I didn't black out when Mr. Jarris's wife was murdered. He says, we were holding hands. When the lights went out, the circle was broken. I heard the poor lady scream. And as I was near the head of the table anyway, I went toward her. He says, but there was something in my way. And Kirk asks, something, you mean someone? And Scotty says, no, Captain, something. Cold it was, like a stinking draft out of a slaughterhouse. But it wasn't really there. Hengus says, this is a waste of time. So Kirk says, Sibo spoke of a hunger that never dies, something that thrives on fear, terror, death. Mr. Spock, maybe we're going about it the wrong way. What was it she said exactly? A monstrous evil. Kirk says, she said something else, words that didn't make sense. And McCoy answers, yes, Redjack, Boralis, and uh, Kessla. And so Spock tries to put the word Redjack into the computer. The computer says a proper name, nickname for mass murderer of women, the other Earth synonym, Jack the Ripper. Hengus says, that's ridiculous. He lived hundreds of years ago. Kirk says, Jack the Ripper couldn't be alive if he were a man, but everything we've uncovered points to Jack the Ripper. Oh, it's a huge leap there, right, Dana? I mean, the whole Jack the Ripper thing. I like it. I I like it. I'm going to say that right now, but obviously a leap. Once again, Hengus objects and points to Scotty saying, we have the murderer right here. Are we going to start chasing ghosts? And Kirk says, not ghosts, but possibly not human. Spock asks the computer if such an entity could exist in the galaxy. And the computer says the Drela of Alpha Carinia 5 derives nourishment from the emotion of love. So Hengus objects again. He says fairy tales, ghosts, and goblins. And Spock points out that Jack the Ripper was never identified. Kirk asks, what do we have? A creature without form that feeds on horror and fear and must assume physical shape to kill. Spock adds, And I suspect preys on women because women are more easily and more deeply terrified, generating more sheer horror than the male of the species. (laughs) Okay, when he said that, they show the female yeoman. Did you see the look on her face? I didn't. She gives Spock a glance like, you, sir, are a douchebag. (laughs) Let me show you real horror and fear. (laughs) I mean, when he said that, first off, come on. 
you know, again, yeah. ridiculous. But she does give him this glance, and it's not a good one. Kirk asks the computer for cases of unsolved mass murders of women, starting with Jack the Ripper. The computer reads off 1932 Shanghai, China, 1974 Kiev, USSR, 2105 Martian colonies, 2156 Heliopolis, Alpha Iridia 2. He then asks the computer, identify the proper names Kesla and Baratus. Baratus, name given to unidentified mass murder of women on planet Rigel 4. Additional data murders on Rigel 4 occurred one solar year ago. Everyone turns and looks at Hengist. Kirk says to Hengist, you come from Rigel 4. Well, many people do. It's not a crime. No, but what we're investigating is. Would you mind taking the stand, Mr. Hengist? Oh, I will not. I will not take the stand. I can appreciate your position, sir. You are in charge of civil disturbances locally. If you are the entity for which we search, what better position from which to kill with impunity? Hengist suddenly makes a break for it and plows into Scotty and then comes around the table and does like a drop kick on Kirk. Kirk responds with a right cross and Hengist falls. McCoy checks him and says, he's dead, Jim. We got another one. But Dana, you got to talk about the stuntman in this one. Come on. Hengist is played by a guy who's like five foot six, mm-hmm. 125 pounds. Yes. And the stuntman's about six foot three. <laughs> <laughs> About 210. And the dude had like, you could tell it was wearing some kind of bald cap. I mean, it just was so bad, Dana. Even with low resolution televisions in the 60s. So bad. That was maybe one of the worst stuntmen not looking like the real actor that we've seen in all of Star Trek. With the exception of the one that did Spock, where he looked like Frankenstein oh God, with the wig no on his head that was flat on his head. Yeah, yeah that was a good one. <laughs> I expected to see bolts in his neck that, that time. <laughs> After McCoy says he's dead, Spock reports the computer will not respond to controls. And McCoy and Scotty lift Hengist's body into a chair. Why? Why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, why? I had the same question. I mean, they left the, you know, lieutenant down in the other room when she died. In fact, she might still be in that room. Maybe they put her up in a chair in case somebody came in, they could have a conversation with her. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) Can I get a Band-Aid for those dozen? (laughs) So then they get a visual on the screen with swirling gases and flames. And Kirk says this means the entity is controlling the ship, including life support. So Morla says, you mean it could kill us all? Yes. Life support. Turn (laughs) off. Die. Your name should be Moron, not Morla. (laughs) So Kirk calls on the intercom, telling all hands, stay at your posts, remain calm, which you think when he sends that, it's going to like scare people. (laughs) I was thinking, man, I'm heading for the first freaking shuttle bay (laughs) to get off that ship. Oh, he's telling me to to be calm? If he's telling me to be calm, there's some shit going down. (laughs) I am out of here. So he then turns to McCoy and says, Bones, what's the sedative situation? (laughs) Well, you know, we gave some to those women down on the planet. (laughs) Actually, they had a drink at that cafe called the Cosby. (laughs) (laughs) So here's one of my favorite lines. Uh, McCoy says, I've got some stuff that will tranquilize an active volcano. Kirk tells McCoy to start distributing it immediately. In cups of (laughs) Kool-Aid. I wonder how many people are going to get that one. Kirk and Spock leave the conference room. So they get to the bridge. Sulu reports that life support system override is jammed. And the voice calls out, You cannot stop me now, Captain. It'll do you no good. 
I control all circuits. You cannot silence me. You cannot reach me. Your manual overrides are extremely limited in life. Soon all control will be restored to me. There is nothing you can do to prevent it. <laughs> I am without ending. I have existed from the dawn of time, and I shall live beyond its end. I thought it was cool. I, it was kind of scary, I thought, really. So a nurse comes on the bridge. Kirk tells her, tranquilize everyone on the bridge, including yourself. Sulu gets his shot, and immediately he looks stoned. <laughs> his eyes are all kind of like, his eyelids look like heavy and stuff. And he's like, whoever he is, he sure talked gloomy and he kind of laughs <laughs> he's like he could have been uh shaggy from you know shaggy and scooby yeah so kirk says man your post mister and whatever you do don't be afraid and sulu <laughs> says but an armful of this time i wouldn't be afraid of a supernova <laughs> <laughs> They break out the lava lamps. They're all just staring at the lava lamps. <laughs> so Spock orders the computer to compute to the last digit the value of pi. Spock says, as we know, the value of pi is a transcendental figure without resolution. Well, do do we know that, though? Yeah, you know that you can you can set your computer to help in that search. Can you really? Yeah, there's a, a buddy of mine that I worked with. His computer in the background was always running the search for pi. And then his bank account was immediately emptied, and he got a letter <laughs> from a Nigerian prince saying thank you yeah and never found pie no are you, are you sure what kind of pie he was looking for dana had to do with the numbers or it's something else i mean that sounds a little sketchy to me. no it's a real thing look it up so in the conference room mccoy is administrating the sedative scotty looks like he's drunk give me another woman to stab cotton <laughs> <laughs> So McCoy says he's tranquilized everyone but himself and Jarvis and Kirk and Spock. Spock reports that the entity has fled the computer. Kirk says yes, but where to? He asks McCoy what will happen if the entity enters a tranquilized body. And McCoy states, well, it might take up knitting, but nothing more violent than that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that. That's the line of the episode, I think, don't you think? Yeah, oh yeah. Kirk goes to give Jarvis a shot and Jarvis turns and attacks Kirk saying, no, kill you all make you die and suffer spock does the <laughs> vulcan nerve pinch and jarris crumbles suddenly hengus springs back to life <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why they put him in the chair yeah. so he could just jump up <laughs> yeah. didn't have to get up from the floor you know that's a big jump so and uh he grabs the female yeoman of course Yes. And holds a knife to her throat. And uh, and she's still laughing. I rewound it a couple of times. She's like still got this like laughing look on her face and stuff. Yeah. Uh, McCoy approaches and says, you're, you're going to hurt somebody with that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Hengus pushes the woman out of the way and goes after Kirk. And Kirk kind of lets him lunge at him. And then he does a judo flip on him. And when Hengus hits the floor, Spock administers the sedative. Hengus becomes compliant and he's laughing. He's like, you all. I'll die. <laughs> Everyone will die. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and Kirk says, let's get him to the transporter quick. And so he throws Hengist over his shoulder and hurries out of the room. In the transporter room, Kirk or is the transporter chief says, he says, deep space, full power, widest field of dispersion. And they lay Hengist on the pads. The transporter guy is like, kind of looks like he's stoned. And he says, no need to get excited, Captain. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> And so Spock goes over and shoves the guy out of the way. Just shoves it. Yeah. He activates the transporter and Hengus disappears. Just then McCoy and Scotty come in, all laughing and cheery. Kirk explains what they did and McCoy says, that thing can't die. And Spock replies, possibly, Doctor. Its consciousness may continue for some time, consisting of billions of separate bits of energy floating forever in space, powerless. Kirk says, to Scotty, you seem quite happy about the whole thing. Scotty laughs and says, Says, yeah, I got away with killing three women. <laughs> we got to blame it on this guy you just beamed out into nothingness. <laughs> <laughs> And McCoy reports that the tranquilizer will last five to six hours. Kirk smiles and says, yes, I, I can see that. Well, Mr. Spock, for the next five or six hours, we're going to have the happiest crew in space. And that's how the show ends, Dan. Wow, what an episode. So, Dana, you have some interesting information about the dancer, don't you? Yeah, Tanya Lamani, who played the belly dancer, was a trained ballet dancer, and uh, she answered a call for a dancer in Vegas. She thought it was a ballet dancer, but it was a belly dancer. <laughs> And she spoke Russian and I think like two or three other languages. She was not that great in English. She, she understood English, but she uh, said that uh, actually this miscommunication actually helped her because she got the job. She learned quickly and she ended up being in several TV shows and movies for her belly dancing abilities. Interesting. Yeah. Dan, do you have anything uh, you wanted to add to that? Well, not about her, but it's about one of the other women in the episode. So when they're in that conference room, they have just had that fight with Hengist. There's a scene that has the female yeoman standing next to Jarrus. The, the shot kind of pauses on them for just a second and then it goes to somebody else. And I was like, that, something weird is there. So I rewound it and then I froze it. Dana, you need to include this picture in the Facebook post about this episode. There is something protruding from like the clavicle area of the yeoman. I don't know how to say this, but it looks like it looks like maybe the entity is inside her and it, it's excited. And that, that's all I can. I mean, Dana, did you look at that photograph? I, I did. It's weird. It's really weird. I, and I, I went, I think I told you, I went online and looked her up, found several pictures of her. You don't see anything like that. So I mean, wasn't it the weirdest thing? Yeah, but it shows up. I looked at a couple different pictures of from that episode. And you can see that. Yeah, it's like someone's got a, a finger and the finger's sticking out from the inside of her. I mean, it's the weirdest looking thing, Dana. I yeah. have no idea what it is. I mean, she needs to go see a doctor. I think she did. And she's dead now. So maybe that's the reason. I think she's still alive. Oh, is she? Yeah. We need to get her on the show. Dan, do you want to talk about uh, themes and dilemmas? There's actually a real serious theme and dilemma that I see in this episode, and it's about violence done to women, right? Nothing funny about that. You know, one of the most recent examples is this Gilgo Beach murders. Uh, the guy got arrested recently and murdered multiple women. There's also something called the Red Dress Project that has brought missing and killed indigenous and aboriginal women into the public consciousness, mostly in the United States and Canada. You know, this is an issue that really has existed through time. And it's one that, you know, even here 
in the year 2023 is still one that is in the forefront. The episode kind of deals with it a little bit, and I know we have fun with this episode, but that that's a real thing, and it's uh, it's disturbing, and we should all, I think, be conscious and aware of it. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point, Dan. I thought about that as well. The number of Indian women in Canada that go missing or are murdered every year, the number is staggering. It's like almost impossible to believe. It's just horrifying to think that that's, been, that's going on. And continues to, right? Yeah. In the show notes, I'll include a link to the Red Dress Project, and people can look at that for themselves. Well, thanks for sharing that. Oh, sure. How about a dilemma for, that you saw? Well, I was thinking uh, for Kirk, uh, the main dilemma is just trying to help out his uh, fellow officer and crewman, and he has to walk a line of diplomacy with the Argelians. They bring it up a few times, but I kept thinking when I was watching it, other countries are very strong, and, and America is too, about their rules and regulations. But I mean, some countries doesn't matter if there's proof or not. If they believe that you're the guilty party, they just throw you in jail and you get a trial when they get around to it. Or the trial is swift and not so judicious. Made me think that, you know, there was a lot going on that line of diplomacy that uh, Kirk was trying to walk. Dana, what was the best part of this episode for you? Uh, One of the best parts was uh, the whole mystery that was involved with the murders and everything and the way they played it out. I thought that was uh, really good. I liked the way it uh, was developed. Dan, what's the best part for you? I do like this concept of evil traveling throughout the universe, especially following in the footsteps of human expansion. I really thought that was an interesting idea. How about another best part for you? Another planet that's all about pleasure, a hedonistic society. I, I just, you got Wrigley's pleasure planet and then you got this. It sure makes uh, the final frontier look, look better and better all the time. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Dan, do you have another best part? Well, I think Scotty being the focus of this episode was really cool. You know, I thought about, could they have put any other character in this spot? Like, could it have been Sulu or could it have been McCoy? And as I think about it, I I don't think so. I think Scotty and obviously James Doohan and his performance was the perfect one to put in this situation. How about a worst part for you? Like you, I really like this episode, but there's so many bad, stupid things in here that bother me. I mentioned this while we were talking, you know, two women dead and they don't even try to protect the third woman, even though they suspect the killer is right in their midst. Really bothered me. How about you, Dan? Do you have a worse part? You know, once again, and there's nothing new, the objectification of women in this episode. I mean, it's just, it's pretty bad. I have that as one of my worst points too. Do you have another worst part? I mentioned this as well. The idea that Scotty would have resentment towards women for an accident aboard the ship. Do you have another worst part for us, Dan? John Fielder, who played Hengist, his voice, freaking annoying. Except when he played Piglet. He was the voice of Piglet for years and years and years in the Winnie the Pooh series. I love Winnie the Pooh. So, Dana, what happened on this date in history? Dan, this episode was released on December 22nd, 1967. The number one song in the U.S. was Daydream Believer by the Monkees. And in the U.K., it was Hello, Goodbye by the Beatles. I think that's like three weeks in a row. The top five songs that week in the U.S. were Daydream Believer by the Monkees as number one. I Heard It Through the Grapevine by Gladys Knight and the Pips. Hello, Goodbye by the Beatles was number three. I Second That Emotion 
by Smokey Robinson, The Miracles was number four, and Woman, Woman by The Union Gap featuring Gary Puckett. Also, The Graduate with Anne Bancroft and Dustin Hoffman premiered on this day. I found this fascinating. I, I was searching because I've been, I'm a film buff type, and I, I wanted to uh, see what film was number one at the box office. Oh, yeah. And I f- saw that Gone with the Wind was re-released and was number one at the box office. Really? Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen it. So one final thing. On December 21st, the day before this was released, all further contact was lost with the Mariner 4, the American space probe that had made the first successful flyby of the planet Mars on July 15th, 1965. Contact had been lost on October 1st, 1965, then regained after two years. Micrometeoroid strikes on December 10th, however, had damaged the communication system, and it was never heard from again. So Dana, we've sent many space probes to Mars. Probably it's the most explored planet in the solar system. It also has the most number of, quote, malfunctions of spacecraft. And I think because the Martians, you know, they mess with the spacecraft from NASA and they're able to hide themselves. They're like covering stuff up with sand and making sure no one could find that they were living there. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) All right, great. So we got that. Okay. (laughs) Anything else from the state in history? Nope, that's it. So now we're moving on to the counts, Dan. Yes, we are moving on to the counts. Uh, Dana, what's our dead crewman count for this week? We had one. We did? Karen Tracy. Dana, you're right. So we, we did have one. I totally forgot about her. Um, so what's our total? I think we're at 44. I think you're right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How about the shirtless Kirk Rip shirt Kirk count? Nothing this week. So we're stuck at 13. The he's dead count. It, we got quite a few in here. Yeah. We have to include she's dead in it as well. So there was three. That takes us up to 12. Yeah. 12. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. Again, one of those times I thought they could have used it, but uh, it didn't happen. McCoy did have some great lines regardless. We had zero. So we're stuck at eight. The supreme being count. Doesn't really really count as a supreme being. He's just an ass. (laughs) (laughs) He totally is, yeah. None this week. We're still stuck at eight on uh, supreme beings. All right. Violation of the prime directive. I I think Kirk went out of his way to work with the the people of the planet. For once. Yeah. I think he did a great job of uh, not violating the prime directive. We're stuck at six. The taking over of the Enterprise count. You made me realize that that actually happened. Yep. Red Jick or Red Jack or whatever, the Jack the Ripper, whatever they're calling him. We had one this week. What's our total? So that takes us up to six, Dan. And that's uh, all we're looking at for counts right now. All right. Hey, I had a great time. I'm glad we're back. And as always, uh, this is a blast to do. Yeah, Dan, it was a long month without Star Trek. Next week, Dan, there's a big fan favorite that we're going to be reviewing. That's right. The Trouble with Tribbles. I'm looking forward to that one, Dana. Thanks again for coming back from your vacation, Dan. (laughs) Although we got listeners, Dana, right now that are saying, oh, God, I wish you wouldn't have come back. Dana could just do this on his own. (laughs) As always, Dan, it's great to get together and talk Star Trek. Until we see each other again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It, Jim the podcast we'd love to hear from you please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or call us on the dammit jim hotline at 509-676-6298 if we like what we hear we may even put you on the podcast make sure to join dana and dan next week for the trouble with tribbles enjoy the rest of your week and until we see you again remember to live long and prosper Thank you.